Hey everyone, and welcome to Don't Skip. I'm your host, Zach Seckler, and on today's episode, I chat with Brett Beatty. Brett is Associate Creative Director at Goodby Silverstein. He is an Emmy winner, a Cannes Grand Prix holder, and a creator behind Super Bowl spots for Bubbly, Cheetos, Sam Adams, and Pepsi. In this episode, Brett and I talk about lots of fun and definitely informative behind the scenes stories from three Super Bowl spots he was a part of. The Cheetos Can't Touch This Spot with MC Hammer, the Sam Adams Clydesdales parody spot, and the Is This Pepsi spot featuring Steve Carell. We also hear some advice for young creatives on dealing with burnout and a lot of ideas for commercial directors on winning jobs and working with clients. Check out brettbeatty.com to see some of the campaigns we chat through. The spelling's a little tricky, so definitely check out that link in the show notes. Before we kick this off, I wanna quickly share three things with you. First off, thank you. Thank you for being here and listening to this podcast. We're really early days here at Don't Skip, I launched this podcast back in November, and right now I'm recording this. It's December 29th, so it's been only six weeks so far, and I've been happy to share seven episodes with you. I really love having these conversations with the talented, amazing, inspiring people that we've been lucky enough to have on the podcast so far. I just really appreciate the time that they've taken to share these insider stories this advice and knowledge with me and with all of you listening. So thank you for being a part of this experience and helping this podcast grow. And speaking of growth, I really want this podcast to continue blossoming as a valuable resource for creative people. So if you have ideas or comments about what you'd like to hear in season two of Don't Skip, definitely shoot us an email. We are at don'tskippodcast at gmail.com. Please also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing this right now. The reviews are super helpful in spreading the word. And we are fortunate to only have five-star reviews so far. So keep that love going. Lastly, I am taking a quick break from the podcast for the next few weeks. I'll be back in February of 2022 with lots of great new episodes to share with you. And before we get going, a quick plug for the one and only sponsor of this show, me. Yep, it's just me. I am a director and photographer. If you are into visual comedy and you work in advertising, there's a decent chance you're going to like my work. I'm really humbled to have just won inclusion in Shoot Magazine's New Director Showcase and have just published a bunch of campaign work that I created this year. So excited to share that with you. You can check it out over on my website, zacksekler.com. And now without further ado, this is Don't Skip, Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, very excited to chat with you. So let's kick it off with your early, your early days. What was your first job in advertising? I went to the Creative Circus Portfolio mm-hmm. School in Atlanta. And that was, you know, pretty night and day from the job that I had before that at Excel Marketing, where, you know, it was just pure creativity. Yeah. You know, everybody was there for for a single, everybody was single-minded in honing their portfolio and just being their most creative self. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for two years, got my portfolio, met my partner, Russell Dodson, who the two of us just really clicked, um, copywriter. And then we ended up getting a job out of ad school at Pereira Nodell in San mm-hmm. Francisco with PJ Pereira. And we were like one of the first teams they hired. We we were actually like kind of there from from the launch of the agency, which was super cool to sort of see. And I guess in that regard, it was a little bit, maybe a little bit different of an experience than most people get because we were juniors, you know, right out of ad school and then going to this kind of young startup shop, which was really cool to see. And it was it was really fun because... 
you know, I think they were kind of winging it too. They they were, you know, a, a group of guys from AKQA who had started this place, PJ Pereira. You know, he was young, tons of energy, and the the place was really fun. I mean, we we kind of had our hand in like almost starting the culture there. You know, I remember like driving with Andrew O'Dell, the owner, to like a Christmas tree farm and picking up the the company Christmas tree. Uh-huh. You know, and and things like that. And us us suggesting like Hey, let's get a Frogger machine or let's get a, you know, let's, let's get a refrigerator over here. Like that was actually a big deal. So it was really fun to like, you know, see how a a startup behaved and, and got its start and, and kind of, you know, help define the culture and even define sort of like the organization. Can you tell me what, like how you, what that culture was like that you helped define aside from picking out your own Christmas tree and, um, (laughs) and having like video (laughs) games around, like. What, what was the culture like aside from maybe like the fun perks? Like what was it like in a kind of a more nitty gritty creative way? You know, was it all like, was it open concept with everyone working at tables or did, how do people work together and how similar it is to kind of like the agency life before COVID happened? Yeah, it was really cool. It was, it was super small, really nimble. Like I said, it was started by PJ Pereira and Andrew O'Dell, who came from AKQA. There was two other guys that were sort of like helping them as ACDs. And I think it started with like 12 people. They rented out an old building in San Francisco. It was like a hundred year old building that used to be, it was called the Barrel House. It had, it was like a loft style building. The bottom floor had a bar, really old, rustic, really cool looking. And then the top floor was where we worked. So we had just one giant table where everybody sat. There was about 12 of us. And it was really, you know, just a small, nimble collective of people and really cool. I learned a ton in that setting because, you know, coming right out of ad school, you know, you you still have like, you know, skills to, to be sharpened. And, you know, I would sit next to the, the head of graphic design. I ended up sitting next to what would be a motion designer that they hired on and learned just a ton from those people just sitting right next to them every day. And even PJ Pereira, you know, I was like, you know, within arm's distance from the owner. So it was really like no boundaries. Like everybody just throws something out there and like, we'll just literally sit around this table talking about it. Like we're sitting at dinner. It was really cool and really eye-opening and very different than, you know, where I work now where there's, layers and everybody's a little bit more siloed in their own offices and and that sort of thing. Yeah, can you so fast forward into where we where you are now? You're at Good Be Silverstein and you've been there for the past looks like 5 years according to your LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. You know, how is the experience of of agency life at Good Be and how is it different from when you're at a smaller shop? How's it different? Well, it's it's just bigger. So I think, you know, when you go bigger, it's it's a little I always kind of described Goodby as like high school for for creatives mm-hmm. and for for like, you know, creative types. Cuz it feels like a high school. It feels it's big. A lot of people say that it almost takes a year to sort of like really get to know everybody and kind of know the resources there, which is which is really true and that's a lot different than where I came from, which, you know, on day 2, you kind of know everybody in in the agency. Mhm. So that's a big deal. And and I think with size comes, you know, little pockets of people and, you know, it get it can get clicky and everything. But also just you kind of get to know, you know, your core team a little bit. And it's it's sort of like, you know, you become your own little mini agency within the agency. And, you know, I, I work on Sam Adams and Truly and and some other project stuff. But, you know, there's like there's a whole other side of the building that I just have no idea, you know, what's <laughs> going on with like the Xfinity team and BMW. I'm just, you know, not versed in in that side of the building. So is it intimidating at all when you first get to a big shop like that and there are so many people? And I think of like the first day of high school where you're like, oh, I got to like figure out who my friends are quickly and, you know, and I strategize a little bit. Is it kind of like that? Totally, totally. Yeah. It, it really is. It, it, and it takes... You know, I came in there pretty confident. I was very senior when I came in. But even then, you know, you sort of, I think within those walls, like Goodby's a type of place that there's been so many great creatives come through there. You know, it's kind of a legendary place. So there's, there's, you definitely, you definitely kind of feel that 
just being in the building, you know? Yeah. You know, you have Rich Silverstein walking by your office and he's just amped up to 11 all the time <laughs> and just has so much energy, you know, and, and Jeff. And there's, there is an intimidation factor at the place, I would say. And, and you have so many great creatives in that building from all over the world that it's just, you know, you're always mentally sort of like sizing yourself up, I guess, a little bit. Do you have any any strategies for creatives out there who who maybe are about to start their first job at a big agency? Any strategies for for that that side of it, for the social side of it, or the the networking side? Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm I feel like I'm easily intimidated. I'm easily intimidated, and, and so I I constantly like second guess myself about those things. But you know, once you start to get to know everybody and I think the biggest thing is just be yourself and just don't worry. Don't let those things affect you because you're really just in your own head. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody else there is probably thinking the exact same thing about themselves. Right. <laughs> sounds like the advice, it sounds like advice <laughs> I'd give to like someone who's about to go to high school, actually. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, it really the parallel is. Is, is really there. <laughs> it really is. And so don't second guess yourself. Don't second guess your ideas really just keep the confidence. And once you start to know, like, you know, figureheads like Jeff Goodby and Margaret Johnson and everything, you you kind of, you know, once you start to know them, you realize, oh, they're just people too. They're just creatives, you know? Mm -hmm. They just have very wildly successful careers and they've done it very well. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's Let's dive into talking about a couple specific campaigns that you've done. I'd love to start off with the Cheetos can't touch this spot. It was a Super Bowl spot from, I believe it was 2019. Is that right? 2019. And I think it ran the 2020 Super Bowl. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So for anybody that's not familiar with this spot, can you quickly kind of run us through the concept and what happens in the spot? So big asterisks on this one. I my partner and I at the time were were brought in late after the strategy was sort of set to help out. But the strategy was, and it was pretty brilliant that you know the Cheetos dust that gets all over your hands that we all know we've all experienced. You know when you when you grab a Cheeto, you get that dust all over your hands. The cheese, the cheese dust. The cheese dust, exactly. Well, the insight, they wanted to play with that in an interesting way. So the insight was that, you know, what if that dust could sort of like get you out of things? What if you could turn that that icky dust on your fingertips into almost a superpower? Mm -hmm. And so the spot is really all about um, this guy that sort of, you know, is eating his Cheetos in the office and his boss comes and asks him to do something and he kind of turns with the dust all over his fingertips his boss notices it and says, never, you know, never mind, I'll, I'll just have somebody else do it. Well, that sort of sparks the light bulb in the guy to realize that, you know, oh my God, I can, I can get out of things with this dust on my hands. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of starts his journey in his life where he, he gets out of things with the dust on his hands and humor ensues. You cut from moment to moment where he's got, he's like someone asks him to do something and he holds up his, his hand that's covered in the Cheetos dust. And he's like, oh, I can't. And then, and then, of course, we forgot to mention that MC Hammer pops out in a completely unexpected way and says, "Can't touch this." And it's all, of course, it's all that the he's singing "Can't Touch This" throughout the yes. whole the whole spot, right? Yes. So it, we we had a very smart spot, and then of course you have to like up it by ten for the Super Bowl. So we have you know the whole thing is is backed by MC Hammer's "You Can't Touch This," where he sort of like pops up and sings the verse out of nowhere each time this guy sort of flashes his Cheeto covered yeah. hand. Yeah, I love it. It's it's such a, what I love about the spot is the unexpected visual humor is like to a 10, you know, with <laughs> MC Hammer coming out. You've got the, you've got this like bright Cheetos hand that sticks out so clearly in this environment. Like you open on an office environment where it's kind of like, you know, I think it's like kind of a cool blue coordinated color palette. And then you've got this orange hand that just strikes out so well against that background. And then you've got MC Hammer that comes up. And then it's like, once you set up that joke, it's just repetitive. And it's like a different, a different alt on that joke in all these different situations, right? Exactly. And it's just so well done visually. I love the casting. I love everything about it. 
Can you talk a little bit about the the kind of visual development of the spot in terms of coming up with a visual look and feel? And I think, you know, just to also throw this into the into your answer, Harold Einstein from Dummy Films was the director. And I'm sure that he had a lot to do with with developing the the visual look and feel as well. Can you talk about, you know, maybe where the origin of the look and feel came? If if a lot of it came from hiring Harold and wanting him to bring that look to it, or if you guys already had a certain style in mind before you before you went to Harold Einstein? Yeah, we didn't have a particular visual style in mind before we talked to Harold. We we had bitted a few other directors and and kind of shopped it around a little bit. We didn't know, you know. I think some directors came at it from a slightly more kind of dynamic, cinematic sort of look. Harold's so great. We we knew the comedy needed to be sort of front and center. So that was sort of the most important thing for us. And, and I think you're right. You know, it, it is really cool to see sort of like, you know, this, this guy's going to have this orange dust on his hand the whole time. So that needed to stand out first and foremost. But when we brought Harold on board, you know, Harold has such a style. It, it, it's sort of like kind of a signature look for him. Mm-hmm. And we just really like that look. His shooting style is might be a little bit flatter than than a lot of directors. He is, It's such a quirky kind of wor- weird world that he sort of puts together. And, and we just love that so much. And I think with that, you know, because he has that sort of style kind of already figured out, we were able to get a lot more footage on the day because it was something that, you know, he he's he can he moves faster. We were able to get to get a few more beats and he's super collaborative. You know, we had a couple other ones that didn't end up making the the final cut, but he was just like, "Oh, I want to shoot this. Let's go shoot this." And he was, sh- you know, shooting stuff while the crew was breaking for lunch. So we were we were allowed to be super nimble with him and and Speed was kind of our friend, so we were able to get a lot of lot for our money. Um, on the shoot days, but Harold was just so great. He immediately got it. He immediately brought tons of ideas to the table. Super collaborative. We loved working with him. Can you give an example of how you were able to get more done in a day because he has his his look and his visual style already built in and kind of already, you know, they're ready to go? Do you like recall a specific example? Harold just... He's such an, I think he's such a great director. He's so infectious and he's so collaborative. He's, he has such a great energy to him. He's always thinking just like we are as creatives. And I remember there being one scene where our protagonist was on the phone and we wanted the phone to ring, but have it, his ringtone be, you can't touch this. Mm -hmm. And so that was just like a little beat. We were like, oh, this would be like a, a great little moment that we could maybe use for the edit. And we were just spitballing this on set. And he was just like, oh my God, let's, we have to get that. <laughs> and so everybody breaks for lunch. He's like, I'm just going to go handheld. I'm going to just, we'll go over to the sidewalk right here, bring him over and we'll just get it. Mm-hmm. And those are like little things that like a lot of directors, I think, you know, you kind of like, everybody's always spitballing ideas and you kind of laugh at it. And it's like, ha ha ha. Oh, we don't have time for that. Yeah. But Harold, Harold just, he will move mountains to make it happen. There was another scene. Oh, it was the scene where... Um, our protagonist and his friend are in the garage mm-hmm. lifting weights. Yep. And that was, we didn't, we were thinking that we didn't have time for that on the day. The sun was going down. We had to clear out by 10 o'clock. We were in this neighborhood. And I remember Harold saying, we have to get this. We have to get this. And he had, we had found this garage. We had the whole crew like removing stuff, cleaning up the garage you know, agency people are in there, like cleaning it up, making sure, you know, the, to get branded, pull branded stuff out of it. And everybody's just sort of like scrambling to make this shot happen because he wanted to make it happen. And it ended up being like one of our favorite shots. I think that was when we had MC Hammer popping out of the garden hose that was coiled yeah. up in the corner. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's super funny. And that was one that was like, we didn't think we were going to get it, but, you know, everybody, Harold just, his energy just like, no, no, go, go, go. We got to get this place cleared out. We got to get this shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really cool to, to work with him and, and see how he worked. And, you know, everything was in service of just the humor and getting, you know, getting it done. How many shoot days was this one? I believe it was three. 
because we shot our teaser, which was a hilarious concept in itself. So the teaser was MC Hammer back in the day sitting at his home in Oakland. He's eating a retro bag of Cheetos and he's sitting by his piano and he goes to touch the keys and he stops himself and he turns. He's got Cheeto dust all over his hands and he goes, I can't touch this. <laughs> and then that yeah. dawns on him. Yeah. Oh my God. And then that's the story of, of how You Can't Touch This came about. And right, it's a right. Great, it, it's a hilarious teaser. So you shot that, the teaser and the the Super Bowl spot in three days. Yeah. Cause you have like the you have the office location and then there's yeah, there's there's a few, there's quite a few locations, right? The bit yeah, there's quite a few locations. The biggest day was, you know, we always knew the grand finale was gonna be this hilarious joke of MC Hammer sort of popping out of this picnic basket and the picnic blanket sort of like swooping up and becoming his signature pants. Yeah. So that was kind of the big finale. We actually ended up shooting that first. And the other great thing about Harold was he was very adamant about shooting that practically. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was shot completely practically, which we just loved. And it just made all the difference. So so his team rigged up the picnic blanket and the, the picnic basket, which was rigged by you know a team with strings. And that thing just sort of broke out. We shot it on like a platform. So MC Hammer was underneath the platform, popped up, and they rigged it where the, the pants almost just kind of like magnetized to them. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it was really cool. So that wasn't, oh, I, I thought that was, um, I thought there was some green screen there. There's a little bit. We went in and there was no green screen. We went in and cleaned it up a little bit and, you know, kind of put a, a few effects here and there just to kind of help elevate it but yeah yeah with the pants like coming together yeah the core of it was shot practically oh wow that's great yeah it was really cool what was mc hammer like to to work with amazing yeah amazing <laughs> was that like i mean you said you were a, a child of the 80s and 90s was that like <laughs> oh my god i was floored i was yeah. such a huge mc hammer fan growing up uh-huh it was kind of surreal to to see him Living in San Francisco, I mean, he's a Bay Area legend too. So, you know, you go to a Warriors game, you see him in the crowd. He's just like, feels like he always has a presence in the Bay Area. So it was super cool to work with him. He was really cool. He he worked with Harold great. He had his own sort of ideas and notes and he really got into it and had oh, wow. a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. When it's not like, because, you know, celebrities, it can be... Totally. They're just punching the clock or, yeah. you know, they show up hours late. Uh, you know, that's great that he was so involved. But did it yeah. take him a few rounds of practice to warm up and do that, that side, his his dance? No. His little his side shuffle? Or was he just, no? We were constantly talking on set like, oh my God, this guy hasn't missed a beat. Oh, wow. I mean, he's... I think he's vegetarian now, so he's like really in, he's still really in shape. He still does shows. Mm -hmm. So he's still really athletic. Like he still does all the moves and he did everything, you know, no problem. I mean, we we put him through the grinder in those, you know, two there was two pretty hard days where we're doing the shoot and then we're like, you know, taking him over here to do stills and do some social assets and stuff and he was he was great throughout everything. Let's talk about another campaign. Let's talk about the Clydesdales yes. spot. Another Super Bowl spot for Sam Adams. And that was this year, 2021. Yeah, correct. Can you, for anyone that doesn't recall offhand immediately, although I'm sure if, if they do work in advertising and they go to your website and see the spot, they will, they will definitely remember it from the Super Bowl. This was one that got a lot of attention because it was kind of a... It was a little bit of a parody, right, of the Budweiser campaign. Yeah. I'll let you tee it off and, and describe the spot to our listeners. Yeah, well, I, I've i been lucky enough uh, in the last few years to come on board to our the Sam Adams account. And um, AJ Warren, who's who's my partner now, he, he came up with the character, your cousin from Boston, which is which is so great. And then, so yeah, this was a big deal for Sam Adams. This was their first sort of foray into the Super Bowl. 
And the spot was, you know, we were trying to think of how to do a Your Cousin from Boston spot. We had done a previous round of spots prior to this, but, you know, this was a Super Bowl. So how can we sort of elevate this and go bigger? Sam Adams is, you know, they're a challenger brand. They're, they're pretty small. Um, they definitely don't have Budweiser money. So we thought it'd be funny to sort of poke fun at, you know, the the very classic Super Bowl trope of the Clydesdales. What if we see a hand sort of like release the Clydesdales and what if they sort of ran chaotically through the city, kind of causing hilarity? And then we reveal that it was your cousin from Boston who had accidentally pulled the pin, uh, letting them go. Yeah, <laughs> and just to clarify, so you open on this kind of very, it's like the morning, it's a complete parody of the Budweiser spot with the Clydesdales. All right, like it's it's slow motion a little bit. It's like the morning, perfect morning light and all the Clydesdales are lined up in a row. And and then you cut from that to this guy taking the pin out from the, that are connecting the Clydesdales to this chariot and they all like, and then you cut to real time and they're, they're like running through. What is this like the Faneuil Hall area of Boston? Maybe is that or like downtown or something? We shot it in LA, actually. Oh, we you shot did? it. Okay. We shot it downtown LA. We found a little street downtown LA that miraculously looked like just like Boston. It had you know the cobblestone street and everything, so it was sort of perfect. But but yeah, it, you know, imagine Faneuil Hall. <laughs> That's terrible. I should. I I have to edit that out because I'm <laughs> I'm from the Boston area, and I totally <laughs> I totally. But hey. You that's fooled great. me. So that's, that's great. Just, you did your job. We'll take right? it. We'll take it. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, there was there was some painting out of uh, some palm trees that we had to do in post. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. But yeah, the the spot was completely designed to you know sort of be a head fake where you know you think you're watching the next Clydesdale spot. Yeah. Um, where you have you know all the familiar shots, the close ups of the the horses, sort of like winning and you know the the breath and the you know the hooves you see the the kind of the horse carrier with the reins like oh great this is the next Clydesdale spot this is going to be cool and then you slowly see this pin being pulled meanwhile the horses just kind of slowly start galloping down the street we realize that they're not you know they're not in unison anymore well then you're sort of off to the races when one of them just sort of barrels through this little kiosk in the middle of the city and and then all hell breaks loose where it just turns into a complete riot where, you know, these Clydesdales are just completely causing chaos throughout the city. And then after that, what is it? It goes, you, you cut to these three guys, like kind of dressed like these like schleppy, like towny guys. <laughs> just Ex like, exactly. Just like exactly. stepped out of a daytime drinking bar watching a game or something. <laughs> and they have these thick Boston accents, right? <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah. What, what do they say again? I forgot the line. Well, we, yeah, we have your cousin. He's he's kind of hanging out with two of his friends, and then we kind of just whip pan over to him <laughs> yeah. holding the pin and one of the beers, and he just goes, "Whoops!" Yeah, and then that's when we do do our freeze frame mnemonic, "Your cousin from Boston." Yeah, with the which thick. we have in all of our spots. Yeah, yeah, the thick from Boston. I don't even have a good Boston accent. I'm from the <laughs> suburbs, so I can't claim really any authenticity to the city. That's okay. I'm from Indiana, so I'm, I'm not even going to try a Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great moment though. I love I love the wardrobe on that guy too with like the it's just so perfect. Very very tone tone perfect on that one. Yeah, we got the Timberland boots, the the flannel hoodie. It's got the the chain. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Backwards hat doesn't quite fit right. So, the director on that was Matt Asselton, right? Yes. How did you come to hiring Matt for this campaign? Well, Matt was, Matt is sort of the responsible for bringing this character to life. So before I even jumped on board the account, AJ and his former partner, Matt, created the character. And Matt Asselton was the original director uh, for the very first round that we did. Uh, the first spot was wet, called Wedding, where the cousin's at a wedding and we get to really kind of see his character being introduced. So, so Matt was responsible for finding, his name's Greg Hoyt, the actor, who is just fantastic. And he plays that character so well. Matt was responsible for finding him. And he's like, immediately when he saw him, he's like, this is the guy. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this guy is perfect. 
Oh, so and he's so he, this guy is kind of a recurring character in the campaign. Yeah, correct. We've been we've been doing this your cousin from Boston campaign for a couple years, and I believe the Super Bowl spot was just maybe just after the first year. So we had had done a couple rounds of spots prior to the Super Bowl spot. So he's a recurring character. The the campaign's still going on now. So Matt Matt Asselton, the director, helped kind of originally, he did the first, directed the first spot, and then he helped kind of develop this character and the the look and feel of the campaign. Do you, I'm curious, do you guys, do you have to still go through a, a triple bid process each time there's a new a new round of these spots? Or is it just like, well, Matt's, Matt's the guy, we're going with Matt? Um, it depends. Sometimes it depends on budget. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, they usually go pretty big for Super Bowl, but, you know, other spots throughout the year have a little bit lower budget. So that sort of dictates it sometimes. Yeah. You know, Matt, Matt's definitely our A-lister, but sometimes we, we sort of have to be a little bit more nimble. Mm-hmm. So that dictates a lot. Sure. But we've recently, we've been sort of experimenting with directors and, and kind of opening it up a little bit. And sometimes it depends on, on the concept. And I think the campaign so far has been pretty consistent with its look and feel and tone and everything. I think this next year we're, we're, you know, I think we're in year three of the campaign. So we kind of almost think of it like a, like a TV show really, where it's like, okay, we're in like season three. Mm-hmm. It's time to sort of like, like push the envelope a little bit. What can, what can we get away with before we sort of jump the shark? Mm-hmm. So, so now we're kind of interested in sort of exploring different looks and feels and tones and kind of, you know, playing with different styles with it to kind of vary it up. So we talked about, you know, two well-known comedy directors, Harold Einstein and Matt Asselton. Can you kind of compare compare and contrast the, uh, you know, what, what they're like to work with in their process? Uh, well, both of them are extremely collaborative. And I think that, you know, they, 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 they definitely have different styles and you can see that in their work. But I think the process in which they get there is similar. They're, they're really collaborative and they're really just, you know, concerned with the final product. Both of them are, you know, really easy to work with. It's a lot of just, you know, coming up with jokes on the fly, meeting, you know, various meetings to just sort of like go over a list of jokes and, oh, that one's funny. And like, what if it was this, you know, just really spitballing things back and forth. I think that's where you really get to get to the good stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And just sort of treating it like a writer's room, you know, prior to shooting uh, makes it a lot of fun. And that, that's kind of how it should be. Do you, I mean, have you had experiences where you work with directors that aren't collaborative? Yeah, I definitely have. <laughs> or, or they, they kind of, they, they like, <laughs> or they kind of, they, they, they can put on this facade of being collaborative and, and on the surface, it sounds like they're hearing you, but then the next minute they're, they're shooting their own jokes and they're shooting like something totally different. And it's like, whoa, we didn't talk about this. What's what's happening here? Gotcha. That can get frustrating, but yeah, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes, you know, you want to, you, you trust your director, you hire them for a reason. You want, you know, they have a vision and we, we expect them to have a vision. You know, what we put on paper is really ultimately a, a blueprint for them to take and for us to continue talking about, you know, when we, when we write a script, nothing's nothing's ever set in stone. There might be jokes that we sort of fall in love with ourselves and we're like, oh, this one would be great, whatever. But, you know, we fully expect the director to sort of take it and kind of run with it in their own style and their own way and and add to it and plus it up. That's where things become great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it is a, it is very much kind of a, a push and a pull and a, a sense of trust that you have to have, right? Because sometimes the other person, whether it's, the creative team or whether it's the director, they have something really in their head and maybe they're not quite explaining it perfectly, but you see, once you see it on camera, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that is a cool idea. Or, well, actually, that was a terrible idea, but <laughs> at least we got to see it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, I've, you know, clients obviously hire an ad agency because they're not a part of the company and we get to be outsiders sort of looking in on their business and saying, well, this is what we think consumers are going to resonate with, not just people. You guys are really close to your product, but here's what we think consumers are going to resonate with. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so that's that's almost the same with you know agency director relationship, where sometimes agency we can get a little bit bogged down in the client's business a little bit too much too. You know, sometimes they pull us a little bit closer to them, and oh, we need to be seeing the beer for this much longer, or we need to we need to like showcase this product demo throughout this whole thing. And, and it's kind of nice when when you have a director that comes in and takes a look at your script and is like, it's like yeah, people don't care about that part or Mm -hmm. here's here's a better way of doing that part that's even more natural that you know people would actually say or people would actually do or how somebody would actually use this product Mm -hmm. and so that's that's really important too to have a director who can kind of come in and sort of you know have a very honest opinion about certain things like that because at the end of the day you know that's that's our goal is and you know as much as the client you know, loves to see their product that, you know, we, we want it to be seen in, in the, the right light from a consumer standpoint. So it's nice to have that honest opinion from a director and have them help us sort of mold the wet clay more and more to where, you know, you get to a great final piece. Do you see that there's a difference with the, the level of comfort or how readily a really seasoned director, like the, the couple that we've talked about, versus someone who's, you know, a little bit earlier in their career, you know, how comfortable they may feel, you know, having a different opinion than you guys or saying like, hey, actually, you know, I don't think this is going to be great for the brand or for the spot. Do you see any difference in comfort level based on, I guess, seniority? Not in my experience. I haven't seen, you know, I've worked with younger directors who have just as much of an opinion as sort of a veteran director. I've seen it from all levels, but we definitely do, you know, if we're triple bidding something or talking to multiple directors, that's that's one thing that we, you know, we weigh heavily on is, is this director just sort of like shooting what he thinks we want him to shoot, him or her? Mm-hmm. Or are they bringing a fresh eye to it? Are they being honest with us? Are they really dissecting this script and and adding to it and plussing it up in an interesting way that we hadn't previously thought about? Yep. So that's important to us. And, you know, yeah, there'll be a, they'll probably end up being a middle ground somewhere. But, you know, we really do want a director that we're trusting that person to bring their eye to it, to bring their POV on it. It's interesting. I think that, you know, from my from my experience, I can I can think to like, you know, very early on working in advertising, kind of wanting to, in a way, please you know, the agency side, because you're like, oh, wow, like I'm getting, you know, hired to do this big thing. And like, you kind of just want to, you want to say yes and be nice to work with. And like, it's all about kind of being nice and respectful and stuff. But, you know, the the longer I've worked in the industry, I've really, when I see a script now, I'm like, well, I, I really think this is the best way to do it. And I think that I've found that that really having that, having that opinion is, you're either going to be rewarded for it and everyone's it's going to work out great or you're not going to get the job and it was probably for the best cuz you're not going to do it the way that you know that would have been true to your kind of artistic style so i i feel you i feel you on that the best situation that that we've been in is and i'll give an example Harold and the Cheetos spot was is a great example of Harold is just in person, he's so magnetic and he's so collaborative. And I think clients were a little weary. You know, this was this was a big spot for him. This was a lot of money that they had on the line, and they had a lot of questions. And Harold was was so great at you know expressing his vision to them, and you know, kind of holding their hand and saying, "We're doing this together. This is your spot. Here's what I'm thinking, but let's talk about it." Mm-hmm. And it takes a director that has that attention to to the client and that care and that sort of, hey, we're all going to hold hands. We're all in this together. Here's what I'm thinking. I think it's going to be great. Let's talk about it. And there was a lot of roundtables like that. And Harold was brought in really early to to have a lot of those client discussions with the client and and kind of bring them along throughout the entire journey. I remember I remember actually in in the production of that Cheeto spot that he would, you know, the clients would be behind him. He would invite the clients to go stand behind him as he was shooting, which I have never seen in my career. Yeah, that's where a director would literally where a director would literally invite the clients 
multiple clients to come stand behind him as he's directing. Interesting. What was, so what's the, what was the thought there? Did you, do you know, did he say, well, I'm going to do this because for this reason, or, or was he kind of talking to them as he was directing and say, well, this is why I'm having him do this. I'm just trying it because I want him to try this line because it might connect to this or like, or were they just kind of, you know, more literally just shadowing him and just kind of just being, is the proximity more comforting? I think a little bit of both. Like I said, Harold has such an infectious energy to him. He really is very collaborative, even when it comes to clients. And he wants everybody to be as excited as he is about something. So he had no qualms of inviting them over to him. For him, it also came down to the speed factor too, where he's like, hey, I can turn to you and be like, that was great, right? And (laughs) having them agree with it, it's like, cool, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Or, okay, cool. Like, you know, you're not standing around waiting for a line producer to go back and talk to the client and have a discussion and, you know, him waiting and, you know, going back and having this like telephone relay. He can just turn to the client and say like, what'd you think? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, maybe he needs to smile a little bit more or whatever. He's like, great, cool, let's do it. And so there was there was a speed factor to it. It, it really worked out. It was it was really unique to see. Yeah, that's interesting. I could see it. I could see it working either really well or really <laughs> yeah. not well. Yeah. Because I think a lot of it depends on the client and and definitely the relationship too. Because if they are kind of just standing and watching and saying and like kind of approving as things go, then you're right. It can be so efficient because you don't have to go through that relay process. But if they're like, well, um, you know, can we try it this way instead? If like that starts to be the conversation. Yeah. And then, and then like, ooh, that could be, that could be rough. But obviously that didn't happen. I think it takes a really seasoned director to, you know, maybe get to that point to where mm-hmm. they know how, they know exactly how to handle a client. And if they're being a little difficult and holding up the day and wanting more and more and more, he, he probably, you know, has the ability to, kind of shut it down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Actually, Video Village is back that way. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Coffee orders are coming back there. Yeah. But yeah, I I mean, the client side of it is, is such another factor because, you know, having the relationship with the agency, I, I think is like, it can so often be so easy because you know we're all creative people and you know we there we have a similar creative vision so it's like that's so easy but then it's always like you know getting the client to see that vision for people who don't have the type of background in visual arts oftentimes it can be a challenge and you have to bridge that that gap and it is definitely a still a skill so important so important it's it's so important and i would say some of the some of the best pieces in my book, some of the best projects I've worked on is, you know, having a director that can really handle the client well and really hold their hand and say, it's going to be okay. You know, don't work like you're in good hands. We, you know, this is a great idea. This is going to work and really bringing them along for that journey. You know, the ones that sort of like put a wall up with the client, you know, it just doesn't work on so many factors, so many levels. Yeah, it can become like... It becomes uh, un- unnecessary friction. and Yeah, can, friction is a good word. Yeah. You can sort of feel it in the work because everything becomes an uphill battle. and Right. It becomes like a million compromises that lead to kind of just a tepid result. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I want to ask about, you've worked with so many, so many celebrities and so many great comedic celebrities that, that <laughs> I love. Steve Carell and Andy Samberg and so many others. Do you have any any fun stories that, that you can talk about from any of these productions? I've been pretty lucky to work with a lot of celebrities. And I got to say, I have very minimal stories about them because I'm like, one, I think I'm a little intimidated by them when I'm on set. And two, I'm, I'm just like, I don't belong here. This is just like very surreal. But um, Steve Carell was very, very much what you think what you would hope Steve Carell would be. He was extremely nice. He was yeah. very, very on time, mm-hmm. dr- drove his own car and just showed up on the day and was like, hey, let's work. And yeah. it was just very professional and extremely funny. His performance, so this was, we're talking about the Pepsi Super Bowl commercial, is Pepsi okay with 
Cardi B is in it, mm-hmm. Lil John. So his performance was so, I mean, it was such signature Steve Carell. Like it was, it was so good. He nailed it. Was that like, is that just who he is? Is that just, did it take a lot of work to get there and a lot of takes? Or was it just like, you're out of the box, you open it up and Steve Carell pops out and, and he just, he delivers. No, it was incredible. It was incredible to watch. I mean, he that that's very much his character, you know. There was no like, oh, you're you're gonna be playing this type of guy. Nope. It was Steve Carell and you're playing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember from the first take, it was just like, you know, we kind of we had it, we wrote a ton of lines for him and you know, we kind of it was a very collaborative process. We worked with Spec Gordon on the project, who were fantastic. I've worked with them before. They bring a lot of a lot of ideas. We had a couple writers that they brought in to just, you know, it, we were writing a lot of sort of one-liner jokes that that he could riff off. We just had a ton of fun on set, just writing stuff on the fly. He would take a look at notes and laugh at something or say, no, I, that's not in my character. I'm not going to say that. Um, anything that like got mean-spirited or it, something like that, he would sort of balk at. But, you know, that's kind of how we worked on the day. It was just like, hey, we're going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. You can try it, say you're not comfortable doing it, but he was just so collaborative, so, so nice, didn't, was not difficult in any sense of the word, and just fun to watch. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're watching a comedic legend like that, just in their element and doing their thing just so effortlessly, it's just so fun to watch. And that's exactly how it was. Was directing Steve Carell, was there a lot involved in terms of performance or was it just more kind of technical, like, let's try it a little faster. Let's, you know, try eyeline this way and and more technical stuff. Yeah, it was a really simple set. So it was set in a diner and we shot it in LA. So it was, I can't remember what the location was. I feel um, like I've seen that diner in many. Yeah, I I feel, I feel like it's (laughs) It's a popular location. Yeah, it's a very familiar one, but it was set in a diner. So, I mean, the set was minimal. There wasn't a lot of like camera moves or anything that we had to worry about. So it was really contained where we could just kind of play and have fun. So yeah, it was a lot of a lot of performance on the day. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about just a couple other non-production questions. So kind of going back to the career, the career topic, one thing that's inherent to being a creative on the agency side or on my side as a commercial artist is constantly dealing with rejection, having your idea not get sold through, not getting the job, not winning the pitch. Do you have any any strategies, any ways of coping with with that rejection? Oh man. Well, it's always tough, for sure. It always stings. I mean, you know, you put so much effort into something just to watch, you know, the house crumble down instantly and having to go back to the drawing board is never fun. But um, I think it just takes time when a lot of young creatives come into an agency, you know, you just have that fire within you and you're used to being sort of, you know, like in an ad school setting where there are no parameters, there are no budgets, there are, there's, you know, it's just 100% pure creativity and just put your best creative out there. I think, you know, you, you get used to that mindset, then you come into an agency and all of a sudden you have tons of parameters, you have budgets, you have timeframes, you have client expectations, client wishes, and you have to sort of learn how to deal with all that. And with that comes a lot of the rejection and, you know, try, 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 go back to the drawing board. And it can be a little unsettling how often it happens. But, you know, after a while, you sort of realize it is, it's just a part of the process. Mm -hmm. And I think I consider myself sort of an even keel guy. Maybe it's the Midwestern in me. Maybe it's the fact that I just a lot of times feel like I don't belong in this job because because of that factor. And it's like, man, I get to do this every day. This is crazy. That you just sort of, you know, you're you're confident. You get to a place where you're confident in yourself to where if if this idea dies for whatever reason, you're confident in knowing there's another solution out there that I'm gonna come up with. No problem. Do you have any advice for those for those young creatives who are just walking in the door to an agency? Any tips for dealing with rejection or for anything else? I would just say that it's a part of it. Get used to it. There will always be another idea out there. There's always another solution. So just, you know, a lot of creatives, you know, 
go on this emotional roller coaster ride with with every every step of the way, right? And they end up burning out because you know it's really hard to to deal if you kind of ride the emotions that way. It's going to be really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting a, getting attached to an idea, right? I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to, right? Because you're you're kind of totally you're birthing something, and you're get you get attached to your baby, and then you you just watch it get. I'm not going to continue the metaphor because it'll get, it'll become unsavory. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's hard not to, right? It's your job to go go off and and 100 think about this brand and this problem and coming up with a solution for it. And it's hard, and you finally do, and you're you know you have your eureka moment, and it it gets through. You know, it gets through your creative directors. Your creative directors love it. You know, they present it to the client. The client might might like it initially, and then a week later they come back with feedback and are like, you know what, like, oh, like we showed it to the sales team and and they had this problem with it, or you know, we showed it to the the president of the company and he thinks it should be about this now, and, and so it's tough. It's like, what? This was like the perfect solution. It hit everything on the brief, but you know, you have to just you kind of have to be water a little bit and just sort of. Sort of ride it out and just be confident that, you know, lean into it a little bit. Like there's another solution out there. Or if the client is serving up, you know, another way of looking at it, you know, go with it. Mm-hmm. Just lean into it rather than, you know, pushing back on it is what I would what I would suggest. And you'll see that once 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 the emotional anger goes away of, you know, that initial rejection, once you sort of you know, can can absorb feedback and absorb what maybe the client has a problem with. I think, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll see they're like, oh, okay, I can see it being this way. I can, I can see what they're saying. Or, you know, you start to fall in love with another way of doing it. Brett, thank you so much for your time. This has been, this has been really great. I hope I didn't bore you. I hope I didn't bore your listeners. Not at all. I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for having me. This has been fun. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you again, Brett, for joining us on the podcast. That was a great episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, make sure to check out Brett's website, brettbeatty.com. And once again, I'm your host, Zach Seckler. A quick reminder that I'll be taking a few weeks off from this podcast in January but we'll be back with more episodes in February, 2022. Thanks for listening, everyone. And until next time, don't skip those good ads.